welcome to People in Profit and a special show from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. I'm Kate Moody. Coming up, has the rush to cut off Russian oil and gas helped or hurt Europe's efforts to switch to green energy? Are European automakers at a disadvantage as the US and China offer generous subsidies? I'll ask the CEO of the Volvo Group. And what future for semiconductors? Industry leader Intel gives us an update on global shortages and demand. A global cost of living crisis and the ripple effects of Russia's war in Ukraine have dominated this year's meeting in Davos. Since last February, European countries have scrambled to end their dependence on Russian oil and gas. But the focus on keeping the lights and heating on has led some countries to at least temporarily bring back more polluting energy sources like coal. So has the rush to cut off Russian fossil fuels helped or hurt Europe's transition to green energy? Due to the need for getting cheap and re reliable energy now, we are moving a little bit backwards with firing of coal plants, uh, etc. At the same time, I must say I'm impressed by Europe. They have been able to both secure um, gas and, and energy in the short term, at the same time still focusing on you know, investing in more renewables and also opening up for more decarbonization of heavy industry, industry that cannot decarbonize by electrifying but needs to remove the CO2 or use hydrogen uh, as an as energy source. I think Europe is on the path to transitioning and towards a more sustainable uh, energy model. What happened this winter was a wake-up call and has provided a huge incentive for Europe to move ahead with the transition much more quickly. Because moving into uh, the transition without fossil fuel, it's both ensuring the supply of energy and lower price as well as the security of energy. One part of the energy puzzle is transport. Car and truck manufacturers are phasing out traditional combustion engines to focus on less polluting options. I sat down with the head of the Volvo Group. Separate now from the Chinese-owned Volvo car brand, it focuses on trucks and buses. He said that cutting emissions is just one of the many challenges facing the industry. I'm here with Martin Lundsted, the president and CEO of the Volvo Group. Thank you for joining us on France. Uh, great to be here. Thank you. I want to start by asking you about one of the biggest issues that's facing European businesses at the moment. It's a piece of American legislation called the Inflation Reduction Act, and it outlines huge subsidies for, among other things, electric vehicles that are made in America. Are you worried that this legislation will make Volvo and other European manufacturers less competitive on the global stage? No, I'm not worried for that because, I mean, we are, as Volvo, but also a lot of our peers in our industry and other industries, we are global. Uh, so I'm more worried that actually our own capital allocation, our resource allocation will uh, accelerate uh, to, to go to uh, the United States, and that is a risk. And I have to say the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, in, in many of the ways it is designed, it is actually to accelerate moving from a fossil-based brown platform to a green platform, and when we listen to the conversations here in Davos, that is what everyone is talking about. We need to accelerate our efforts of decarbonization, and that is a good thing. But we need also to make sure that we have a level play field in, in Europe as well. Now, here in Davos, Ursula von der Leyen has announced an EU industrial plan on clean tech. Um, what specific measures would you like to see to help keep manufacturers in Europe and maintain co that competitive edge against the United States and China, for example? 
No, I mean, of course, I just listened in to what uh, the president of the commission said, and uh, I noted a number of very important things. First and foremost, that we will address the whole value chains of this transformation. That is what we see in, with IRA in the U.S. Uh, so, so it's uh, not only addressing specific silos, but actually the generation of green energy, the infrastructure built out, the equipment, and also the demand side. That is good. Uh, but also that um, Ursula von der Leyen were talking about, I mean, how we address the simplification of the regulatory landscape. That is absolutely necessary. We see that in our sector, how we need to sim simplify that. So it's not only about the funds. It is actually to align and streamline also the regulatory to what is really important for us, and that is decarbonization reduce CO2 footprint uh, faster and make uh, the European industry and Europe also competitive in that regard. The EU wants all new vehicles sold from 2035 to be zero emissions. Is the Volvo Group on track to meet that target? Yeah, and first and foremost, that goes for passenger cars. Uh, so, so, I mean, uh, as part of uh, ASEA, that is the European Association for uh, Automotive, uh, we, we are aligned with that. But uh, on the heavy truck side, there is no uh, date set yet for two reasons. Not because we have the same ambitions when it comes to decarbonization, but the track here we, will contain a number of things. It will be battery electric, trucks, it will be fuel cell or hydrogen based trucks, but it will also be combustion engines with renewable fuels. Uh, but we are absolutely aligned. Uh, we are today a market leader when it comes to the implementation of uh, battery electric trucks, both with our two brands, Renault and with Volvo trucks. And we are investing heavily into uh, the continuous deployment. Last year, Volvo's production and profits were really weighed down by a global shortage of semiconductors. How are you faring now? No, I, and I, th I think, I mean, the whole 2022, as you said, uh, heavily impacted by both, I mean, shortages of uh, supply, components, uh, semiconductors, logistics, uh, energy uh, imbalances, unfortunately, with the geopolitical situa situation and the war in Europe. So it has been a challenge for all of us. At the same time, there is a still a big demand of shifting both equipment uh, and also shifting into green equipment. So, uh, I mean, we have not presented the full year result yet, but uh, up to the first nine months, despite all these challenges, we see that the demand is there and that we... Uh, that we have also been uh, increasing our sales, actually. But having said that, we need to continue now to focus both on the current situation, but also on the transformation going forward. And it's not just a question of semiconductors. There have been a lot of different disruptions Absolutely. to the supply chains. Have you changed the way you approach your supply chains? Yes, I should say that we have done that. Uh, and we have learned a lot during this uh, situation. Uh, so we not only have a direct contact with uh, our direct suppliers, but that we are also, thanks to digital advancements, uh, sharing our, you know, forecasts, uh, forecasted volumes, uh, how we think about the technical roadmap, not only with our direct suppliers, but also with their suppliers and the suppliers of their suppliers. So, so we are working much closer in the value chain. We have been able to redesign certain, uh, you know, uh, ships that have been uh, shortages. And, and uh, I think also we are a group that is working with long-lasting relation with our partners also that has uh, supported us in this effort. Martin said, thank you so much for joining thank us you. on France 24. Thank you very much. For a closer look at the semiconductor shortage that's been impacting automakers, I came to an industry leader. 
Christoph Schell is executive vice president and chief commercial officer at Intel. He says the market remains under pressure, with international demand for semiconductors set to double by the end of this decade. It's a bit of a mixed bag right now. Uh, as we enter 23, we have uh, industries where we uh, had seen a drop in demand. I think that is fueled by you know, some of the macroeconomic headwinds that we have, inflation, the gear in the, U in the Ukraine. Uh, but I also still have uh, customers in segments where I don't have enough products, so there's still a shortage uh, of products. And uh, if, you, if you know Semis a bit, uh, I always like to tease that it's the, the trailing notes uh, that are a little bit more difficult uh, to get than the advanced notes. Very interesting as we look into investments in Europe, you know, what are we going to manufacture in Europe? Uh, should it be trailing notes? Should it be advanced notes? So interesting conversations that we're having right now. Over the last few decades, Asia has, of course, emerged as the center of the semiconductor industry. But in the last few months, few years, we've seen governments in the United States and Europe really taking steps to invest in their own domestic production uh, with things like the CHIPS Act in both, in both of those economies that we've talked about. How is Intel benefiting from those programs? So for us, I think uh, we've made a decision that we want to offer our clients choice. Uh, of where they want to innovate with us and where they want to manufacture. It's for that reason that we've uh, really put a stick in the ground and said, okay, we're going to build fabs uh, around the world. We're building them in the U.S. Uh, you probably saw the announcements that we have in Ohio, and we're also increasing our capacity in, in Arizona where we have existing um, um, setups. But we're also committed to Europe. So the first one is actually that we have existent, uh, an existing operation in Ireland, and we're, uh, we're adding to that. We announced that we would uh, invest into Germany, into Magdeburg. So I'm German. Uh, I, I like that, of course. But we also decided to, um, you know, put investments into different other European countries. For France, for example, we will build a uh, center of excellence around um, artificial intelligence and uh, high-performance compute. Uh, we're going to put that uh, with our existing teams in France. Uh, we're very happy with the collaboration we have in France, not only with the government, but also with academia. Uh, and a very close partnership that we have with uh, SUEA uh, in, in Grenoble. Um, so that's important to us, you know, how we innovate together, how we can innovate with uh, clients uh, across hardware, software, and services. France is a great uh, country to do that. And the public-private partnership in this industry in particular isn't just limited to the idea of subsidies and tax breaks. It's also about things like regulation, policy, even education. Yeah, I, I, I would think there's, there's really three components to it. A really important one is regulations. You need to be competitive, you need to be fast and efficient on how you can get stuff done. Second one is you have to be competitive from a cost point of view, and cost here goes way beyond labor. Uh, it starts actually with construction cost. Uh, building these fabs is a, uh, a really heavy lift. Uh, so how can you do that in the most effective way? How can you then operate uh, the fabs in a, in a competitive way? And then the third piece... To me, still, the, the key is how can you attract talent to really help you not only operate manufacturing, but actually innovate, uh, you know, find new products, find new product solutions across silicon and software. And so that is a plus uh, that Europe has. It's a plus that France has as well, hence our decision to invest. That's all from Snowy Davos. Don't forget to get in touch with your comments and questions on social media. Until next time, thanks for watching.